Hi, my name's Andrew Skipper. I'm chair of the African practice at Hogan Lovells, and I've got wide-ranging Africa experience from business to art and culture. I'm co-vice chair of the government's Africa Investors Group, and I'm co-vice chair of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art. This is the start of the fifth series of the A Perspective podcast, in which I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors alongside key cultural influencers. People are deeply committed to building on the continent and spreading the word and the vision of it. They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting and delivering on enormous opportunities. Today, I wanted to introduce you to Hogan Lovell's newly appointed co-heads of the Africa practice, Aaron Velasami and Olivier Philombi, both experienced African transaction specialists. Aaron is based in London and has advised developers, lenders, and governments across Africa on major infrastructure projects with particular expertise in the power sector, where he's advised on thermal, solar, wind, biomass, and hydropower projects for almost 20 years. Olivier is based in Paris, and his practice focuses on acquisition project and structured finance, and on OHADA, currently applicable in 17 African countries. Olivier and Aaron have extensive experience and networks on the continent and are committed to developing business and working in Africa. It's great to be able to speak to you both at the start of this new series, guys. So welcome to it, to you both. As a start, I just wanted to, to introduce you. And, and could you give me a brief outline of, of your career to date in Africa and why um, you're working for a major global business and the world is presumably being your oyster why do you choose Africa to be the focus of your career? Maybe starting with you, Aaron. Okay, well, how did I get involved in Africa? It wasn't something um, that was by design, uh, shall we say. So when I started off as a, a youngish lawyer, I wanted to work on international transactions that involved travel. It all seemed uh, you know, very exciting and very glamorous uh, at that point in time. And in fact, my first... Uh, ever trip to Africa was to Zambia nearly 20 years ago to advise the uh, Zambian government in relation to a hydropower project. And uh, I think it was that first trip and that first transaction that allowed me to realize the scale of the opportunity in Africa. There was so much infrastructure that needed to be developed, uh, so many sectors that were just emerging and uh, poised for explosive growth that I decided at that time that this was this was really, from a business perspective, an amazing opportunity. And at that time, Africa was not as high on the list of priorities for law firms as it is now. So I sort of got in relatively early. And since then, it's uh, ex my practice in Africa has expanded consistently. And I think in terms of why do I still work in Africa, I think it is a unique market in that it allows uh, us as lawyers to work on transactions that in many cases haven't previously been completed in particular countries. So as well as advising on the documentation and the execution of the transaction, we're also very much involved in uh, working with the various stakeholders, uh, the governments, the uh, sponsors, the equity investors and the lenders in uh, structuring the transactions and particularly in the major energy and infrastructure sectors, these transactions have a very significant and positive uh, influence and 
in relation to both the country's development and economies. So uh, those are probably the main draws for why I continue to work in Africa. Olivier, just because I know that you've got a particular connection with Africa. So maybe a bit about your, you know, why you started off in Africa and then a bit about how you see picking up on Aaron's points. That'd be great. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I started my career in Côte d'Ivoire uh, more than mm. 20, 25 years ago. And, uh, and to be honest, I, I didn't know that at that time that this first uh, professional experience would mark my life. To give you so, to, for, for the following, since that experience, that first experience, I have had several opportunities to leave Africa, <laughs> yet it has always come back to me one way or another. To give you an, ex- an example, when I joined Organ Levels in 2001, it was just to help creating a sort of project finance practice. And even though the first years were dedicated to the French markets in 2008, at the time of the subprime crisis, everything switched to Africa with the first mining project in Mauritania, followed by two infrastructure projects in Senegal. So today, Africa represents two-thirds of my activity. And I no longer ask myself about where I'm fitting. Based on what just Aaron say, just said, I think one of the, the most important things we can say for, uh, on our work in Africa is, is freedom. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way where as lawyers, as, as legal advisors, we have a window of, uh, of freedom, which is uh, absolutely uh, you know, uh, particular to this country and to, and to this continent and something we don't have in, in Europe. Much of what we do has a very positive real-life impact um, with regards to the countries that we we work in. Yeah, and so, Aaron, you've been working on the continent for, what, 20 years plus, I guess? The last couple of years have been really difficult, obviously, because we haven't been able to go there. What do you see as the, the key themes for business, investment, and, and the sort of work you're going to be doing in the next three years? Do you think it's going to grow after the pandemic, and um, where? And how? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the past two years have probably been the slowest in terms of transaction volume and the amount of work that I've done in Africa over over the past 20 years or so. And, and the reasons for that are essentially that clients haven't been able to travel to Africa to progress projects and transactions. Governments who are involved in these uh, projects and transactions have been focusing on public health. Uh, and and so you know people have been focused on other things and the inability to actually travel uh, means that it's been very difficult to, to progress matters and there's only so far you can go working on uh, remote calls. I do think that there is now a, a lot of pent-up demand and also pent-up capital uh, w- which will be invested in Africa. The development finance institutions have a large war chest allocated to funding projects in Africa. Uh, I think investment funds are also seeing uh, the returns in Africa as being, um, for the long term, very attractive. So I'm expecting, given that the past two years have been very slow, uh, I'm expecting there to be quite an acceleration of uh, business activity in Africa, uh, both domestically and uh, through foreign direct investment over the next couple of years. Okay, so I mean, on the more on the on the finance side, which is obviously your 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 area particularly, how does then the DFI and the public sector money, for want of a better way of putting it, are you seeing that leveraging more more private sector finance in there, or do you think they're going their own way? 
Well, I, I, we, we, we clearly, we hope that uh, this is going to be, to, to, to be the case. Uh, uh, why? Because, well, you know, coming back to, to, the, to, the, to the market, the needs in Africa are in, in all areas. I mean, we talk about energy, infrastructure, telecoms, digital, education, health. Demographic pressure and political risk will weigh heavily on investment choices. And uh, it is clear that not all countries will, have, will be on the same boat. DFIs will have uh, again a major role uh, in the in the uh, in this in this in this particular context post COVID, both in the private sector and the public sector. It is it is obvious that for the for the project we are working on with Aaron, the the, the energy project, we need this combined uh, or mixed uh, financing, uh, private and and uh, and, uh, and and public. In terms of priority, uh, it, it, is, it is absolutely clear to me that we still need a massive, massive amount of financing on, on energy, but also on the uh, uh, digital transition, which is something that uh, we're looking uh, carefully uh, at Hogan Levels in, for, in Africa. A lot of people have said that the, there's a lot of public sector DFI money in there, but are they basically being too commercial and should they be making more projects bankable. Everyone says to me there's no bankable projects in Africa. A, is that true? B, what should you do to, um, to make it better? Yeah, I mean, I think every project is, is uh, bankable depending on the level of risk that the private sector is going to take. If uh, the, the private sector provides a you know, full corporate guarantee of the debt, then the project is, is bankable. But the reality is a lot of that the private sector wants to limit their risk uh, and if by limiting their risk, that means more risk needs to be assumed by the public sector. And that's really where the issue lies, because the level of risk that the public sector is willing to assume varies from country to country. If it's a country where a transaction of that type has not been done before, then the level of risk that the private sector will assume and lenders will assume will be much lower than if it's a, a country where that sort of transaction has been done on multiple uh, occasions. So I, I do think that um, lenders and development finance institutions are, are being more aggressive, at least in my experience, in terms of the level of risk that they will take, because uh, otherwise they won't be able to deploy uh, the funds that they have allocated to Africa. And I'm seeing the same on the private sector side. There's a large amount of money uh, pursuing uh, a relatively small pool of projects that are bankable in inverted commas uh, in in the traditional sense so the private sector is willing to take more risk and i think uh, the um, dfi lenders are also willing to take more risk now than they would have been uh, a few years ago and if the uh, speaking of development finance institutions if there's a raison d'etre to um fund development uh, yeah. They have to be willing to take risk, and you know, post-COVID development is is high on their priority. Uh, as Aaron's just said, you know, the, there's something about it should do what it says on the tin. If it's development, then it's development, and it's not just making money. I mean, I think it's worth it's worth mentioning that we are starting to see a lot more uh, M and A activity in Africa as well. I think. Um, uh, in a variety of sectors, yeah, the private equity sector investing in in a lot of businesses that have uh, uh, been developing over the past few years. A number of indigenous uh, oil and gas companies are divesting of their licenses and, and blocks, offering opportunities to 
uh, international investors. Uh, in the mining sector, there is um, a divestment of assets and, and consolidation. Um, and, you know, countries, you know, as part of their recovery from COVID are seeking to attract more investment. So, you know, capital is flowing into new project, capital is flowing into existing businesses that uh, are willing to, uh, you know, divest some of their uh, interests throughout Africa. Obviously, there's, a, there's, there's pros and cons, I guess, of the oil price being so high at the moment, because it might, uh, with everybody having been talking about diversification, it may take the eye off the ball if there's so much money coming in from, from the oil price. But um, it takes me really on to, I guess you might say, COP27. Now, COP26 was reasonably successful in terms of its um, potential. COP27 for Africa is going to be pretty important in terms of what happens in, in, in Cairo and the steps taken. There's not much time between the two, obviously, but what, what do you think are the key, key areas of concern for you guys, particularly on the project side, in terms of how the world is looking at uh, environment? I mean, I know, Aaron, you have views on, for example, the just transition. And, um, you know, what, what do you think the world should expect out of COP27 in terms of Africa? I think um, in terms of Africa, it's, it's really a, a quite, it's really understanding that the same standards in relation to energy transition that apply in Europe and North America uh, cannot apply in Africa. I think the traditional uh, model in uh, the European energy mix has been um, you know, traditionally based on coal and gas supplemented by some nuclear and increasingly now switching over to renewable energy sources such as offshore wind and solar projects, uh, but that's all predicated on the fact that uh, there is very good connectivity in these countries. Nearly every household uh, will be collected, connected to the electric grid. The grids are very well developed. There's very sophisticated power trading um, throughout Europe and, and the same in the, in the States. When you look at Africa, the infrastructure is different. Uh, a lot of the energy uh, consumed in Africa is still... Um, you know, biomass, people burning wood, people burning other forms of uh, organic matter. So the first energy transition is to move from that to actually a stable power supply. And uh, I think it's unrealistic to think that you can go from burning biomass to going straight to wind projects and solar projects. They certainly have a place in Africa, but the priority is to establish some kind of reliable baseload. And it's very difficult to um, move away from traditional sources of power generation, such as uh, coal and oil and uh, a gas in that context. Uh, I think there has to be an appreciation that for Africa to move forward in relation to its um, electrification, there will have to be a mix. In addition to the vitally important renewable energy projects, there will also need to be uh, funding for more traditional baseload thermal generation projects to underpin um, uh, the renewable energy projects. And there also needs to be investment into African countries' grid systems because due to the sort of intermittent nature of a number of renewable energy projects, you need to have a strong and stable grid system to be able to deal with those. Yeah, and... Uh Thanks for that. And I think, Olivier, just, I mean, firstly, is there anything you see coming out of COP in terms of the, the projects you're going to be financing on a more, you know, environmentally ESG type basis? 
But what other, I mean, other other key sectors do you see being financed from your from your point of view in 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 the region you operate in, particularly in in the francophone region? Um, hotels, for example. What I can see is uh, people looking at some. Uh, uh, some quite innovative projects, uh, uh, I should say, beyond, beyond the sort of traditional uh, solar and wind, like, for mm-hmm. instance, hydrogen. Yesterday night, I was talking about a, a sponsor who, is, uh, who has a very interesting, uh, who is developing a, pro- a very interesting project in, in France. Uh, in uh, in hydrogen hydro, hydro, uh, hydro, and who yeah. is uh, willing to to to, um, uh, to take that experience to try uh, to do something in Senegal, for instance, uh, which would be uh, the, uh, 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 the, the 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 construction of the of the solar plant, uh, and to you uh, know in order to 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 make hydro, hydrogen, and the hydrogen will be used by the, the vessels of the uh, of the port uh, to um, uh, to get e- electricity and it's something yeah. that uh, he's uh, looking at for uh, in, in France in Corse actually he has he's developing two projects and it's um, very interesting because it's uh, it's a concrete uh, way to to industrialize uh, hydrogen pro- project because as you know hydrogen is something that uh, that works in the theory but I think one of the one of the key questions we have is how to make it um, you know uh, viable from an yeah. industrial standpoint and using hydrogen for ports which is uh, one of the one of the place where there is a, a huge pollution uh, by the vessels because the, ve- the, ve- the vessels are just uh, uh, using their electricity by uh, with their engine uh, so that uh, having something which combine a solar plant project, uh, hydrogen produ- production, and uh, and batteries for uh, to be used by the vessel is a very in- interesting and concrete um, uh, implementation of hydrogen project, which is something uh, I would be very interesting to look at in the future. I mean, some uh, yeah, I agree. That's, that's really yeah. interesting. Making hydrogen work, I think, is a really interesting theme actually, which I'm seeing as well are there any other sectors you think are of particular interest to your clients at the moment no you 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 talk about uh, the hotel i mean in frank at least in francophone uh, african countries in west africa uh, there's still a huge need of uh, hotels of mm. course we are i mean during the uh, every you know project uh, where we're a little bit slow down during the covid period but so now um, people are thinking about the post-covid uh, period and um, uh, we are still uh, on uh, on, a situ- on a on a context where we are restructuring the, the financing for hotels. But we, I can also see uh, people uh, looking at uh, uh, you know good lo- uh, location lands to build uh, um, uh, new hotels for the for the new uh, the seasons of uh, of the following years. So uh, interesting, um, yeah. also sector. Okay, um, I want to ask you to step back a bit with your in your in your new roles at Hogan Lovells. I mean, the uh, Hogan Lovells only has one office on the continent, um, but has a pretty good brand. So, what's what's your personal approach to working in Africa and in that context? How how do you see you, the way you you would want to operate in Africa and make yourselves relevant in the absence of your of these offices? 
Yeah, I mean, our strategy is is not based on trying to compete with uh, local law firms in Africa. Our strategy is to offer our clients, uh, both within Africa and internationally, the best possible service. And that's a combination of um, our experience of having worked in the continent for decades, combined with our relationships with the leading law firms uh, that we have in Africa. Um, so all of the for all of the uh, countries that we are active in, we have uh, identified uh, the leading law firms or the leading individual lawyers in particular sectors that we would prefer to work with to offer our clients um, you know, at the level of service that, that they would expect. Uh, and, and our strategy is is essentially to. Uh, you know, provide quality uh, backed by experience, uh, in-country experience, either through us having worked and travel, worked and on transactions within that relevant country, or through the experience of uh, the local partners that we worked in. Uh, and, you know, particularly in relation to many of the major, the larger economies in Africa, such as uh, Nigeria and Kenya and Ethiopia. Um, these are countries where we have uh, a, a great deal of experience. We worked on a lot of transactions which were the first of their type. Uh, we understand uh, how um, to get transactions through in those countries. We worked with the government, with the public authorities, and we are used to working with our local uh, legal partners in those countries to make sure that um, the client is offered uh, the very best service that it's uh, possible to receive. Olivier, I mean, you started off, as you said, in Cote d'Ivoire. And um, I know from talking to people, you are much loved by a lot of our, um, <laughs> our, local, our local friends. How do you approach working in, in the region you, you specialize in? Well, as as you know, uh, we, uh, like our own, we've been, uh, we've been around for uh, Many years, uh, and and uh, uh, and we've been with all. We always uh, worked with local lawyers. I mean, there is no that, that I cannot uh, 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 give you an example. The example of a transaction we made in Africa without working closely with a local lawyer. So, and in some countries uh, like Cote d'Ivoire or Senegal, we've been working with uh, with uh, law firms for for more than 10, 15 years. So that 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 and so that's that give us. Um, a base of uh, of a local network which is which is very strong uh, with people we know we've been knowing for many years uh, so where for, for which we have you know uh, res respectively confidence trust um, uh, and, and, and quality of course so that's something we are, for for that we are very lucky at uh, Hogan levels and we mm -hmm. of course we will still working on this uh, on this uh, on, on this on this base um, so final question really uh, you know what what makes you particularly enthusiastic about the next, you know, about Africa in the next in the next two or three years, and how how are you going to deliver on that enthusiasm? You know, I said uh, earlier that Africa has um, has attracted me uh, to it as much as the other way around <laughs> mm. uh, throughout uh, my my career as a, as a lawyer. Um, there must be something. You know, uh, emotional uh, behind that. But anyway, uh, it, it is just impossible not to be enthusiastic by about you know this uh, this continent uh, and the way we are working there. 
Um, the, the reason, that there are reasons to be worried uh, about. We talk about uh, political instability and things like that. But um, uh, it's it been always swept away by the optimism of the people who live on the ground, uh, which are clearly uh, you know, driven by the, the dynamism of its uh, youth. Uh, so it's not a, a question of being angelic about Africa. Um, mm. Problems there, numerous, uh, difficult to resolve. Uh, and as we said, the, the challenges linked to the, the climate uh, change uh, require an urgent response, which, is, which, which would need to be adapted to the African context. So I, I will be there <laughs> without losing my enthusiasm, as Fantastic. long as I feel that I can be useful uh, in this uh, sort of collective effort uh, to try to, to resolve this, uh, this problem. Excellent. And Aaron, of course, you and I will be in West Africa in the coming weeks. So same question to you apart from being enthusiastic to go out there immediately, what, what enthuses you about it? Uh, I, I think it's uh, the greatest strength of Africa is its people. It's a young population, an ambitious population, uh, and, and it's, it's the uh, development of uh, the population in, in terms of um, a burgeoning middle class and increased wealth generation that is powering ahead uh, African economies generally. I expect the rebound from COVID to be uh, very significant. When you increasingly have the African diaspora returning to Africa, they clearly think that there is a great opportunity there to help uh, in the development of their, their countries. And we've been working in Africa, uh, Olivia and I, for the past 20 years, and I expect we'll be working in Africa uh, until the uh, end of our careers. And, and in the time that we've been working there, the continent, well, individual countries in the continent have changed um, enormously, some more than others, obviously, but there is still a huge amount uh, to be done. There is still a huge amount of uh, infrastructure that needs to be developed, uh, a huge amount of um, uh, regions in Africa that require access to energy, access to power. Uh, there are the continuing growth in educational opportunities throughout Africa, something that uh, some of our colleagues in the States have been advising on for many years. We have people working in the pharmaceutical uh, sectors and uh, that have been very active uh, over the past two years because of COVID. So uh, I, I just continue to see increasing growth uh, across every sector in Africa, and uh, it's really uh, you know a privilege to be involved in uh, a number of those sectors. It has been for the past twenty years, and I expect it will be for uh, the next twenty years. Fantastic. So, Aaron and Olivier, thank you so much for that. It's onwards and upwards, clearly from Africa practice, and we hope for Africa as well. And I'm looking forward to further discussions on the A Perspective podcast in the coming weeks. Thank you very much. Thank you.